You know, there was a time not so long ago when sexual deviants kept it to themselves. Some did so out of fear of reprisals from those of us vehemently opposed to their lifestyle. Others simply preferred to keep their bedroom habits to themselves, believing that what they did there was private. Many of us in the heterosexual majority observed a don't ask, don't tell policy that seemed to work pretty well for a very long time. Laws against homosexuality were either loosened or repealed. We seemed to change direction and to have adopted a live-and-let-live attitude. In the 1970s, no less a conservative and atheist than Prime Minister Pierre Elliott Trudeau even famously quipped that, quote, there's no place for the state in the bedroom of the nation. What's done in private between adults doesn't concern the criminal code, end quote. But that was unsatisfactory to the activists in the pride community. They demanded cultural parity and total state acceptance of their sexual lifestyles from those in the normative majority. They organized wings of their movement and targeted specific cities, states, and provinces, adopting a policy of shrill, open, and direct confrontation, along with an alphabet soup moniker, LGBTQ+, etc., etc., their strategy was simple and effective. They used a blitzkrieg approach to soften opposition. They steadily gained ground as their lobbyists worked elected officials and other power brokers, while their foot soldiers kept up relentless pressure on local leaders, opinion makers, universities, churches, corporations, and of course, the mass media. Now, the same-sex marriage win 15 years ago only emboldened them. That victory was then celebrated by all groups sharing their perverse lifestyle choices. This was unfolded on college campuses, at work, within the military, in the entertainment world, and eventually in the streets. They co-opted the Rainbow Coalition that once belonged to civil rights leaders who pushed for equality and public prominence. Soon, rainbows, campaign-style buttons, and flags were rampant due to clever marketing that was a call to arms for those disaffected by their self-imposed silent privacy, out of the closet and into the streets. Homosexuals who had once kept a low profile were now thrust into the limelight along with their aggressive social comrades who had taken the gloves off and brought the fight to the unsuspecting and unarmed middle class. Rainbow flags soon flew outside government buildings and our embassies abroad. Pride parades complete with cross-dressers, drag queens, and scantily clad or even nude men accosted our senses. Look at me. Do not dare turn away. Accept me. Love me. We demand it. This became their battle cry. But even this was not enough. The real pot of honey and lowest hanging fruit were our innocent children, unsafe and vulnerable in their school classrooms. Children as young as five years of age were targeted for the radical leftist pride message of inclusion, one carefully packaged to groom little minds and forced upon them, absent parental knowledge or consent. This message of inclusion was even endorsed by our Prime Minister, who recently removed national flags from outside his office in favour of pride ones. Youngsters are being taught that gender choice is like an item at the cafeteria luncheon counter to be garnished with new pronouns that teachers have artfully introduced. 
This was followed by a double dose of racial shaming and blaming known as critical race theory. Repent your whiteness. You are the children, the descendants of oppressors, not only of the gender bender befuddled of every minority that has ever lived on this continent. This was a bridge too far. Parents were at first shocked, and then came the unbridled, righteous rage. The pride community had misread the tea leaves and lingered too long inside their own echo chamber. They had not done their due diligence, went off half-cocked, and it backfired. Just ask Transheiser Bush, Target, or North Face. They discounted the soccer moms and hockey dads finding their own voices. The tables were turning, and the inevitable backlash began. Had they adopted a more sympathetic, conciliatory tone and shown themselves to be just like every other middle-class parent, accepting their deviant sexual proclivities, of course, they might have made more progress. But years of pent-up anger at being forced to hide their differences from society bubbled over the brim of their steaming cauldron of frustration and hatred right onto themselves. Now, the Pride community faces a monumental and perhaps insuperable public relations challenge. Should they switch strategies and return to keeping a low profile? Openly distance themselves from the gender-bending purveyors who want to sow confusion in our society? Or should they just double down on their perversion? Many fear returning to the closet now that big corporate has taken up their cause en masse and created a furor by hiring female impersonators to hawk their wares. That is not us, say gays against groomers. Those are the other guys, the ones who feel trapped in a strange body and groom children. We know who we are. We are out of the closet. Do not tar us with that rainbow brush. There's just one major problem with that position. The alphabet soup moniker, which the pride community itself chose, now includes those guys, and big corporate is petrified about offending any of them. This is precisely why they felt compelled to hire bizarre cross-dressers and effeminate pitchmen like Dylan Mulvaney for their products. Ask Transheiser Bush if they like massive drops in beer sales or call up Target's PR department and mention their $13 billion market capitalization disaster. The list of companies regretting their embrace of counter-cultural wokeism in their adverts is growing daily. We can add Kohl's, Nike, Adidas, Major League Baseball, and Speedo to that group. All have capitulated to pressure from the community and are paying the price in rapidly declining sales. Now the next salvo in this cultural war of the worlds will be the boycott that is already afoot. Nobody can really win this once the financial dust settles. Stockholders lose. Employees lose. Customers lose. Media and advertising firms lose. Worst of all, the well of commerce is poisoned as ideologically driven consumers choose sides, leaving an us-versus-them marketplace where each group has their own politically partisan shops, proving once again that nearly everything we experience publicly is both political and cultural. Strangely enough, we are not discussing the morality of homosexuality or transgenderism or any other sexual unorthodoxy. That ship sailed long ago, and most of us accept that such deviations from the cultural mainstream exist and are constitutionally protected. The real issue at hand is the process of acceptance, whether gradual, total, or coerced, and the politicization of our individual lifestyle preferences, 
That is the conversation we need to be having, but it cannot occur in an environment of division, derision, hatred, and violence. Once we create an atmosphere in which free discussion can occur without fear, we can truly be proud, all of us, and not just in June. For a start, we might address the following epistle to the alphabet crowd. Dear LGBTQ, if you do not want to be treated differently for being gay, then stop acting like being gay somehow makes you special. Your sexual orientation is neither an achievement nor a holiday. You have not accomplished anything simply by being attracted to one sex or another. In this context, we also need to address the drag events intended for children that have been held at various venues, including libraries, schools, and even breweries over the past several years. Explicitly, LGBTQ websites, videos, books, and products have been made available to very young audiences, often in ways that seem designed to skirt parental attention. This has not been an uncontroversial development, but those displeased with it have mostly responded by promoting awareness and supporting efforts to prevent our children from having easy access to such materials. Peaceful disapproval of LGBTQ plus or pride performances, products, and materials has been falsely depicted by mass media as existential threats to the pride community. Target prominently displayed pro-trans, satanic, and cross-dressing apparel for infants, and customers withdrew enough business to cost the retail giant billions in a matter of days. After some Target locations moved the merchandise away from storefronts, several shops received bomb threats complaining that relocating merchandise betrayed the violent pride cause. Zealous leftist organizations like GLSEN and GLAD framed the threats to Target as if the pro-pride stance was only alleged, implying that Target's response refused to address the faux danger to the pride community. CNN described Target as, quote, held hostage to an anti-LGBTQ plus campaign, end quote. Meanwhile, fake tweets were generated to implicate the source of violence and threats as conservatives, homophobic lunatics, and right-wing media. One such tweet actually read, quote, again, please explain to me how threatening death over a t-shirt is better than letting people just live their lives and love each other, end quote. But the clear response of displeased customers was to boycott the retailer. Seriously, what response could possibly be less violent than simply voting with our dollars? After all, is leftist cancel culture not all about blocking interaction with those who dare to disagree with them? Public libraries in Portland, Oregon hosted some drag queen story events a few years ago. The library's Flickr post about one such event featured photographs of the drag queen on his back, lying on the floor with children on top of him. The post was removed from the library's social media after it went viral. Initial reports said that the performer got on the floor and invited children to climb on top of him. The performer in question later claimed on Twitter that the kids had knocked him down because he has a bad hip and was wearing stiletto heels. The photos themselves show no evidence of him falling, resisting, or being in any pain. After a while, such events stopped being scheduled in Portland, but that was just a temporary respite. Another one is scheduled for the 12th of July of this year. Nor is this unique to Portland. In Calgary, 
a Christian pastor and a 17-year-old boy have been repeatedly arrested for peacefully protesting similar events held in that city. Nargondak was so outspoken in her support for child drag queen events that she spearheaded a bylaw imposing criminal sanctions upon anyone protesting them within 100 meters of a venue where a drag queen event is being staged. The provincial government, meanwhile, sits in stunned silence. Based upon Premier Smith's recent Pride Month tweet, we now know why. There are Christians who avoid the culture wars because they are too toxic, fearing that any involvement will only turn pride-identified people away from the faith. Let's just love them like we love everyone else, they reason, building relationships with them, not being offensive in our speech or conduct, and leading them to Jesus. Now, there is admittedly much that is right in this approach. Then there are yet other Christians who say that our children are being indoctrinated and our most fundamental freedoms and rights undermined. How can we not speak up when our society is being destroyed on our watch when the word of God is so clear? There's also much that is right about this approach. Yet many of those hearing this will say amen to both contradictory positions, and therein lies the problem. How can we love people in such a way that they recognize our love for them while we reject their deluded, evil self-perceptions? How can we love people in a genuine Christian way while openly opposing everything they stand for? Many Christians cite the old adage, love the sinner but hate the sin, thinking this a proper way of describing our attitude towards the radical pride agenda. But most in the opposite camp only hear hatred in these words because for them, only complete acceptance and adoption of their values is sufficient to feed their insatiable desire for control of the public square. Now the fact is that no matter how much we may try to love such people unconditionally and with a genuine heart, if we do not affirm their perverse sexual orientation or gender identity, we will be branded hateful. A recent Twitter poll confirmed that 85% of those identified as pro-LGBTQ believe that there is no possible way to lovingly say that homosexuality is sinful or that one does not affirm transgender identity. They consider these statements to be hateful and even dishonest. This is what Christians who seek to build bridges with the pride community need to keenly understand. By all means, Build those bridges and get involved in people's lives in the most loving, Christian way possible. All of us are lost sinners, but for God's amazing grace through Christ. But remember, as long as we maintain spiritual truth about the invalidity of same-sex marriage, for so long as we refuse to affirm the lie beneath gender identity, we will be adjudged, bigoted, and hateful. Christian groups can thus never be fully embraced by the pride community unless and until we fully abandon and disavow our harmful and toxic beliefs. The movement on this front has ever been to the left. From a spiritual standpoint, we also recognize the challenges which pastors and religious leaders face when confronted with the problem of welcoming without affirming all. They need hearts of compassion and steel spines. If you cut us, we bleed love. On the other hand, we shall not be moved. This is the holy tension in which we now live. May God grant us the grace to reflect his heart and wisdom. 
Dr. Thomas Sowell, the Stanford economist emeritus, who has written more books after the age of 80 than most people have read in their entire lives, famously stated that the left always goes too far. The Pride community is a prime example. Consider just a sampling of all the days in the calendar now declared to be devoted exclusively to them. February, Aromatic Awareness Week, occurring post-Valentine's Day and recognizing those who may feel sexual attraction but crave non-romantic attachments. Also in February, LGBT History Month. In March, International Transgender Day of Visibility. Also in March, LGBT Health Awareness Week. In April, Day of Silence, which is an annual day of action to protest bullying and harassment of lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender students and their supporters. In May, honor our LGBT Elders Day. Also in May, International Day Against Homophobia. In May, Harvey Milk Day, honoring the California gay rights activist and pedophile who died in 1978. This day was proclaimed into law by none other than former governor and serial adulterer Arnold Schwarzenegger. Also in May, Pansexual and Panoramic Visibility Day. In June, of course, Pride Month. Also in June, Stonewall Riots Anniversary, commemorating violent demonstrations by gay protesters on the 28th of June, 1989. In July, we have International Non-Binary People's Day. In September, World Sexual Health Day. Also in September, Celebrate Bisexuality Day. Also in September, Banned Books Week, which focuses upon sexually explicit books banned from school libraries. In October, LGBT History Month. Also in October, International Lesbian Day. Again in October, National Coming Out Day. Also in October, Spirit Day, promoted by GLAAD. Again in October, Asexuality Awareness Day. Also in October, International Pronouns Day. Again in October, Intersex Awareness Day. In November, Transparent Day. Oxymoronic? Probably. Also in November, Intersex Day of Remembrance. November, Transgender Day of Remembrance. In December, World AIDS Day. And of course, in December, International Day to End Violence Against Sex Workers. Now this is hardly an exhaustive list. There are literally hundreds of such events to acknowledge the most celebrated group of persons in the history of civilization. The inevitable collapse of all such pride was, of course, predictable. As it says in the Old Testament, pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. That's in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18. More recently, a British scholar has examined these most divisive issues of sexuality and gender. In his controversial and polarizing 2019 book, The Madness of Crowds, Douglas Murray reveals the astonishing new cultural wars playing out in our workplaces, universities, schools, and homes in the cause of social justice, identity politics, and intersectionality. He posits that we are living through a postmodern era in which the grand narratives of religion and political ideology have collapsed. In their stead have emerged a crusading desire to right perceived wrongs and a weaponization of identity, both accelerated by the new forms of social and news media. Narrow sets of interests now dominate the agenda as society becomes increasingly tribal and, as Murray illustrates, the casualties are mounting. 
Murray is one of the few writers who has dared to counter the prevailing view and question the dramatic changes in our society, from gender reassignment among children to the impact of radical transgenderism upon womanhood, Murray has tried to clear a path of sanity through the fog of our modern predicament. Murray's narrative is roughly as follows. The decline of ideologies at the end of the 20th century created a vacuum of meaning which was waiting to be filled. This coincided with the birth of a whole range of critical cultural theories producing fields of gender studies, race studies, and queer theory. Most damaging of all was the rise of intersectional feminism, which assumes that different types of oppression tend to intersect and reinforce one another. The bitter irony is that these new theories of oppression arose at the precise moment in human history when actual sexism and homophobia had all but evaporated. Murray is quick to celebrate past struggles for sexual and gay equality, but he is adamant that they have now all been settled. People have never been more rich, more equal, or more free. Questions persist regarding the nature of sex and sexuality, but these are far better handled by biologists than by political scientists. The problem is that malicious, fraudulent, and resentful forces, emerging primarily from universities, have refused to accept that justice has now been delivered. The most vivid image from Murray's book provides the ideal way to close our present discussion. Imagine, if you will, a train filled with all of the aggrieved, downtrodden, yet highly celebrated people on the LGBTQ spectrum. Let us call it the alphabet train. It has had a difficult journey through many storms and tall mountains, up until the most recent leg, which has been mostly downhill through a picturesque valley. The alphabet train is now slowing down to stop at its appointed destination. The sign above the station reads, Equality. The platform is full of people like us waiting to welcome all the passengers on the train, the alphabet people, to their new hometown. A band is playing in the background, and everyone is cheering. Noted luminaries in attendance include political leaders, celebrities, corporate titans, and even men of religion. But just as the train is about to arrive at the station and allow its passengers to disembark, the alphabet train suddenly speeds up and goes careening through the station. All of us on the platform stare in horror and astonishment as the train flies through the station, derails, crashes, and catches fire, massacring all of its passengers. The moral of this story is that equality never was, is not now, nor ever will be the goal for the alphabet people. No degree of Christian tolerance of perversely evil ideas about sexuality, gender, relationships, and the family could ever satisfy them. Their movement was never about diversity, inclusion, equity, or even equality. It was always about money, power, control, and dominance of the public square. Consequently, it was fatally doomed from the start, and we are watching the alphabet train crash now in real time. Because pride, after all, goeth before the fall. I'm going to close with a quote from Isaiah chapter 59, verse 14. Justice is turned away backward, and righteousness stands afar off, for truth is fallen in the streets, and uprightness can't enter. <laughs>